this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Hello, howdy. Hi, everybody. Sam Goodman, the Hot Nerd, bringing you another episode of the Hot Nerd Podcast. How are you doing? Really? Like, how are you doing? How are things going in this uh, journey for you? This thing called life. Hopefully things are going super duper good for you in this big, wild, crazy, wonky, and more importantly, fun, fun world, this fun thing that we call life. Things are going awesome on my end, just super busy. And you know me, most of you are like right here all the time, letting me creep all up in your ear holes and talk about all things human and organizational performance, all things kind of learning teams and culture and making safety suck less. You know me. If you haven't put two and two together at this point, I'm, I'm here to break the news to you. I'm a bit of a workaholic. <laughs> Work makes me happy. Doing this kind of stuff makes me happy. Sitting down and having these awesome conversations about how we can make the world a better place to work really brings me joy. It really is that thing that, uh, how's that old saying go, that if something, if you do like, you know, what you love for work, then you never work a day in your life kind of thing. That's true, though. That's really how I feel. And I hope that you are in a similar place <laughs> with, with where you're at, kind of in this kind of mixture of work and life and fun and kind of all of that kind of cool stuff. Before we jump Jump into today's episode. Do me a favor. Head over to the website www. You guessed it, thehopnerd.com. I've got all kinds of cool stuff over there. That's an easy, easy, easy way for you to get a hold of me. We added that new resource page where you can download all of these snippet videos that I've been throwing out on LinkedIn. All these kind of little, uh, little uh, speeches and presentations and stuff that I've given over time. That I've recorded either stuff from the podcast or live presentations or things that I've just recorded. And I've gone back kind of through the archives here on my hard drives and started kind of chunking that stuff up into like more digestible things and throwing on some like cool images and some smooth piano music. You know, this kind of like videos that we like as people <laughs> that are like less than five minutes long, have like a really powerful message and has some nice soothing music for you as well. And they're there for download for completely free. No, no, like signing up. You don't have to like put in your email. I don't, I don't think you do. I'm pretty sure you don't have to. No email, no giving me your name, no giving me your phone number, any kind of wonky kind of like marketing schemes or anything like that that you see a lot on, uh, on websites. And I'm not, I'm not blaming, I'm not shaming. That's cool. Like people are out there, you know, people are in business. I, I, I get that, but I'm just trying to give you something for free that you can take, you can download, you can use it at work. You can use it on your social media. You can use it during one of your presentations. I'm going to be putting a lot of my slides up there and all kinds of other stuff that I use, uh, as I go around doing this whole hop practitioner thing, the stuff that I use during human and organizational performance fundamentals, the stuff that I use when kind of teaching learning, teaching how to do learning teams and some of the resources I use for conducting learning teams. I'm going to try to give you all that stuff right there over time. I just haven't had time to uh, really sit down and do that yet. And it's kind of speaking of that, if you do need help with anything around human and organizational performance, fundamentals, learning teams, culture stuff, safety stuff, cruise on over to the website again, www.thehopner.com. You can click on the first page. There's a nice little handy dandy thing where you can click there. You can put some time on my calendar and we can kind of catch up and chat about it. Or you can just shoot me an email, uh, thehopnerd at gmail.com or use that handy dandy contact form. Let me know what you're looking for. Happy to help you any way that I can. As I said, this stuff is my passion, man. This is my stuff, dude, dudette, bro, whoever. (laughs) 
<laughs> Y'all, this is my passion. So anytime that I get a chance to uh, get out there and really make a difference and help folks through this journey, it really does just do that for me. <laughs> it just, it really floats my boat. Let me just say that. It really, 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 really enjoy doing that. And the calendar's filling up. So it's filling up. I'm spilling over into 2023 already, surprisingly enough. Um, it always shocks me just because the calendar fills up so freaking fast trying to piece together podcasts and all that stuff. And uh, speaking of the podcast, if you do want to be on the show or you know folks that I should have on the show, send me an email or connect with me on LinkedIn. It's just Sam Goodman. Make sure you're following along over there so you don't miss any of this kind of cool content. That's the main place where I post. I don't really do Facebook. In fact, I deleted my Facebook not that long ago. Um, I don't do Facebook. I don't really do Twitter every now and again. Uh, I put stuff on YouTube. Uh, but LinkedIn is pretty much it. So if you're wanting like the social media thing, super boring Sam here hanging out on LinkedIn. <laughs> but that's that's where it's at. So with all of that kind of update stuff out of the way, out of the way, after checking up on you, making sure that you're doing okay, let's jump into today's episode. Today's episode was just an absolute blast to record. That's that's the only way that I can describe it. It was just fun. So hung out with the awesome, the amazing Gary Bonnet. And it was just a great, great conversation. It was light. It was fun. We kind of went all over the place. We got to nerd out a little bit on the safety profession and kind of our normal stuff about how we uh, kind of found our ways into the safety profession. We connected as mountain folk, as, as hillbillies a little bit, because Gary is from West Virginia. I'm from Virginia. Um, so, not really, uh, you know, the same. Sometimes that Virginia, West Virginia thing can be a bit of a rivalry, but we bonded. We bonded over our hillbilly roots. He's a West Virginian living in Texas. I'm a Virginian living in Arizona. It was just cool. So this is what happens when you put those two together, two safety pros, one from West Virginia that's living in Texas, so a West Virginian Texan and a Virginian Arizonan together to talk about doing safety better. I hope you enjoy the conversation. I'll catch up with you right after. Here we go. We didn't record that. <laughs> <laughs> None of that magic actually got captured. Never, man. And then, you know, the second time around is always is always harder. I did that with um I did that with Todd with Todd, Todd Conklin. He was here yeah. and we were hanging out. And he's like, let's record a podcast. And so we sit down and start recording a podcast and get all the way through it. And he's using like his we're out and about, so he's using like his little uh that little like zoom handheld thing, you know, which is super handy. I've got one that I keep in my bag too, but we get all the way through it. And then it's like, well, that didn't work. Like it did, for, for whatever reason, it didn't record. <laughs> and then, so he's got to get to the airport and we're in this, uh, we're in, in, uh, I've got him in my car because I picked him up and we're trying to get to the airport. So here I'm driving and I'm sure you've been in Phoenix and Phoenix mm-hmm. traffic is nothing compared to pretty much everywhere else. It's pretty insane right now because we've had some of that great migration that's kind of happened, you know. I'm sure yeah. you guys in Texas have the same thing going on. Sure. It's like a lot of folks coming here. And so traffic's much worse now. It wasn't quite as bad then, and this was all pre-pandemic, so it was kind of normal traffic. And here I am, I'm like cruising, you know, trying to get him to the airport, driving through downtown, and he's got his little Zoom recorder, like asking me questions, like while I'm driving, talk about something that's uh, pretty interesting to uh, to very safety focused people recording a podcast on the move in a car, <laughs> driving down <laughs> I-10, trying to get to a Phoenix Sky Harbor Airport. It was, it was pretty cool. So if anybody ever listens to that podcast, and they're like, I wonder why it sounds like that. I, I wonder why, why Sam's kind of like, 
like sounds like he's far away or it sounds like he's like kind of kind of flustered it was because i was driving <laughs> so i guess that's a long story about uh, that we were just talking it's a long story about how you always have to remember to hit record because if you don't you pay for it in some way or another the i'm glad you hit it man i'm glad you hit it <laughs> all my podcast friends out there know exactly what i'm talking about that uh, oh that uh, sinking feeling in your stomach when you realize you just recorded something that was life changing, and then it uh, yeah yeah it's the magic. <laughs> so cool, man! I'm glad to have you here. We're already recording, so we just we, I just jump right into these things if that's cool with you. Cool, sounds great. So for uh, for everybody out there that's uh, tuning into this, who are you? That's probably yeah, a great man. place to start, huh? <laughs> <laughs> That's always the best place to start. So I'm Gary Bonnet. I'm the head of customer engagement for Safety Culture uh, based out of Houston, Texas. And, uh, man, I've been, what, now 20 years uh, in the in the safety profession, life safety profession. And it's really taken me everywhere from the, the military to uh, mining to oil and gas, manufacturing both chemical and steel, and then now in the tech world, uh, where I never thought that I would be, but uh, so glad that I'm here now. Nice man, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm right behind you, man. I'm catching right up to you. I'm like 16 years, something like that, 15, 16 years now, and a few years in the fire service before that, and yep, a few years running around in nuke plants in between those two. But yeah, <laughs> right, right there with you. So what what got you into safety, man? This is again something I always like to ask people because I find it super interesting because everybody seems to find their way to this weird, wonky profession. In so many different ways. So what what drew you or forced you or made you <laughs> go into kind of this whole wonky thing as a safety professional? Yeah. You know, Sam, it's, it's really a lot like your story. Um, growing up in the fire service, my dad was the local fire chief, and it was – that was just our life. Like our life revolved around the fire service and, you know, my dad jumping up from Thanksgiving dinner and heading out the door to run a fire call um, because that's just what he did. And that was just the norm. And I guess whenever you grow up in that environment of selfless service, it's just something that is instilled in you and you're a product of your environment. And that kind of was, was my thought of like going into the air force, going into the fire service there because I wanted to be a paid firefighter. Um, and then really letting my education get ahead of me into the inspection side of things things and in the life safety side of things and then really getting out of the of the air force after a stint in the intel side of things which that's a misnomer um but really saying hey i want to be there for people i want to make a difference in people's lives and really that's how i got into it nice yeah mine i'm very very similar right very similar so mine was kind of i was, I was doing the fire service thing so it's funny because i i I went to a school to become a police officer. That was my thought, at least, right? And you know, you know, my, my idea of going into college was I wanted to do anything that was not boring because mm-hmm. I, I hate school. For those folks that haven't heard that out there yet, like I'm just not—it's not my my cup of tea, right? Like I, I, I struggle with the the, the box that school mm-hmm. kind of does. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I'm like, it's just got to not be boring because if it's not boring, I'll do it. So I started down that path, and then I had a lot of buddies that were in the fire service and EMS, and I'm like, that looks like more fun. <laughs> so, kind of your, your story about Thanksgiving. Mine seemed to always be Christmas. It yeah. was always like it was always like Christmas Eve or something. Something always seemed to catch on fire on Christmas Eve, which who knows why. But that was always like the the thing, right? And taking off, running off the old uh, the tones dropping, your pager going nuts and running out the door. And 
maybe it's uh, back before everybody starts to uh, eat dinner, and maybe it's uh, not. Who knows? It's always a fun thing. But uh, that's that's where I found myself. I coupled those things together where it was like, I really like helping people. I really like to be of service, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, and, I mean, any safety pro that tells you there's not like probably some element of money in that is probably lying to you a little bit. Because I was in a fire service in a really rural area, and I'm like, I got to do something a little different than this. <laughs> You know, at some point, if, if, if I want to want to keep eating, you know, I'm gonna gonna maybe have to give up my dreams here a little bit about being on the the boo boo bus or on the on the wagon and go go do something else. You know, um, but I found myself into the nuclear space in kind of more of the craft world before I found myself in the safety. I, I really didn't realize that safety as a profession was a thing beyond like a safety officer in like a department. You know, uh, so I found myself working kind of the nuclear outage world for a while and kind of were exposed to safety professionals first there. And good and bad, you know, those kind of experiences where I, I kind of got to see all faces of the profession. It was like, oh, this guy's really here to help me. Or this person's really here to help me. And this other person's like walking around with a badge and a baton. And I'm like, that's not cool. <laughs> you know, so you kind of got to see the good and bad and the ugly kind of from the um, from the uh, end of the person actually doing work. And those folks that are there supposedly to help in a lot of ways. And I kind of discovered some of them, maybe not so much. <laughs> so the right reasons, I guess, is where I'm going with that. You know, it sounds like we found ourselves into the profession through similar path, but the the key piece there being kind of for the right reasons. Yeah, and and really that's how I got my uh, my start, like out of the Air Force and into the profession, is because uh, going to work for Newmont Mining, based out of Denver, Colorado. This head geologist, he was looking for somebody with the right skill set. He was like, hey. I can train somebody, you know, to understand safety and uh, processes and regulations and that, um, but I need somebody with a sense of adventure. I need somebody that is detail-oriented. I need someone that does have a little bit of life safety background and uh, and he was looking for somebody that was ex-military since he was, and it was yeah. just the right fit. And then I had that boss that invested in me of like, Hey, what classes do you want? Like here are all of your OSHA classes. Here are all of your MSHA classes. Um, also you need to learn how to speak Spanish. Okay. So we're going to send you to, you know, learn how to speak Spanish, which was probably one of the most humbling things of my entire life. I, I felt like I was one of Pavlov's dogs uh, <laughs> inside of this course because it was like you show up at eight o'clock in the morning, a bell rings, you sit down and they speak to you in nothing but Spanish. And you're like, I don't know even the first thing out of this. And then you go 45 minutes, another bell rings and they go cinco minutos. And I'm like, I don't even know what that means. And they're, <laughs> pointed to the door so uh all of those experiences i'm i'm so grateful for you know the leaders that that i worked with from the very beginning that helped shape who i am today and now it's kind of like how can i pass that on to the next generation of safety professionals you're you're hitting at something that i think that uh it was really vital to me as well uh and it's this this uh mentoring thing Right, and that's where I was just lucky, and luck is probably the it's totally the right word to use because I don't think as a profession we do a really good job in mentoring overall. I think mm-hmm. you just kind of get lucky, yeah. Right? And that's that's where I found myself is when I kind of found myself working in this kind of commercial nuclear generation space, 
primarily in contracting, working outage kind of stuff, exposed to the profession, kind of started to realize that this was something that, uh, you know, I could probably piece some of my different passions together and this would be a really good fit, kind of what you were talking about as well. Um, I talked to safety people, right? So I, I talked to safety folks and I'm like, how, how do you do this? And a couple of them, I kind of got to like, get out of here, whatever, you know, and I get that after being in the profession because everybody thinks that they want to do it until they do it. Right. So I, I get that there was maybe a little jaded there of like, yeah, sure, kid. I'm sure you really want to do this job because there is a little bit of this is like, yeah, look, the safety person just walks around with a clipboard and drinks coffee and looks flustered all the time. <laughs> what an easy job. Until, until you get in it. So there was a couple that were like, okay, whatever. Uh, not buying it. Not buying it. Um, but then a few that really kind of took me under their wings. And God knows how, much, how many years of experience they had kind of between them. Um, but very, very similar. Of like, uh, okay, like, keep doing what you're doing. I want you to take this, this, and this, and this, and this. And if you take those things, come back and talk to me. And maybe, maybe I'll give you a shot. Maybe, maybe, maybe we'll see what happens. And that's, that's how it played out. And they really took care of me in that sense of kind of putting me out there, letting me get in the deep water a little bit, learn stuff kind of on my own, fall flat on my face a couple times, because there is a good chunk of this. And that's where I'm coming back to mentoring that there's a lot that you can learn, right? There's a lot that you can read. There's a lot that you can pick up on. But as far as the actual practitioner piece, there's so much of that that you have to learn by uh, earning the calluses, Right, sometimes on your hands, and sometimes from people chewing on your ass. Like, you, 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 yeah. yeah, there's a certain amount of that you've got to learn from just kind of, kind of getting those calluses. And those mentors help you through that. That helped me an absolute ton. I, I would not have probably stuck around for more than a few months without some <laughs> folks really, really mentoring me through that. Yeah, I think that that was a uh, a, a big lesson learned for for me is. Some of the situations that I came into, I thought like, oh, man, they would be super receptive of, you know, the new safety manager coming in and uh, like, hey, you can ride on the same thing that you came in here on right back out the door because we don't want any of that. And then come to find out like the the other safety manager that was there like really put a bad taste in their mouth. I, I think that being mentored by two different sides is one by those uh, safety directors that you worked for, or even some of those operations managers that like, Hey, I see this person's heart and I'm going to kind of take them under their, my wing. And really, uh, we can make something special, like come out of this. Yeah. I really feel that I I'm indebted to, to a lot of those folks over the years. Um, but also even on the bad side of like some of those safety managers or directors that I worked for that, treated me like absolute dog shit i mean i really took a lot from them of like wow okay i will never treat somebody like that ever in my entire yeah. career so i've learned that from them yeah i'm right right there with you right there with you i totally agree on the on maybe the more negative side of that too you I, I, same experience at the time when you're going through it you don't see it that way once you get to the other side of it, when you're kind of living with one of those insane kind of managers, you're like, oh, that was a really good lesson. When you're in it, you're like, I'm like strangle this dude. Like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, I'm just going to go like flip over a table and leave. Like, I don't. <laughs> right. But it's one of those things where when, once you get through it, you really do take a lot of lessons away from it, whether it's as a really good example as to what not to do kind of in that world. Um, so many, so many of my leadership skills are exactly coming from where, where you're talking about, where I had really just 
world class, amazing leaders around me, and kind of passed on kind of those little tidbits that you just can't pick up anywhere else. And then also having kind of the other side of that, where it's like that's exactly how you you don't treat people, right? And then between those kind of things, you get this kind of morphine of your own kind of views and everything else that kind of comes out the other side of it. Um, but that's back to that that mentoring part. It's just so vital to kind of where our profession goes. And I'm right there with you in a lot of that, that so much of kind of the work that I do is, is how do we give back to the profession and how do we make sure that this profession doesn't suck for kind of the next generation that's coming into it? Because it's really easy, especially without that mentoring piece um, and, ex- and even more so without kind of mechanisms in place and um, – the way the profession is currently kind of structured to where when those folks are gone, there's nothing left. We just kind of take a nosedive and then we kind of rebound and then we take a nosedive when everybody leaves again. And then we, we kind of rebound because you know, those old directors I was talking about, they've been retired for God, at least they retired a few years after I started in the profession. Most of them, because they were about 120 crusty old safety people that have been around since forever. You know, I think some of them took that iconic picture of those folks like eating lunch on a steel beam in New York. You know, they were, they were kind of there for that. Or, uh, you know, it was not, not before uh, many places they worked were still territories, not states, <laughs> you know, <laughs> kind of things. You, you hit on something that was uh, really interesting to me, um, kind of, kind of. And what stuck out, stood out to me when you, were, when you were kind of talking there before was this idea around um, the crucial bits, what makes a good safety practitioner. And that kind of mentoring helps those things along, but seeing that those folks kind of already have that and kind of, kind of stoking those fires, kind of focusing on those bright spots and taking something that's, that's present and kind of good and turn it into something that's great. And I'd, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts, but one of the biggest things that I find in new safety practitioners that I find to be the, the most valuable thing. And it, and even with uh, folks like us that have been around for a minute, um, the piece that if it's lacking, it's really hard to get past is curiosity like genuine curiosity. I see that so many times that people just aren't that curious. And that's what drives me, man. I'm a nerd. Like I'm, I'm a nerd for how work happens. I'm a nerd for the crazy wacky stuff that we do. Like when, you know, I remember the first time I was in a heavy industrial setting and I'm watching a crane rigged up and being lifted by another crane up onto a turbine deck of a power plant. And I'm like, that just blew my mind. I didn't know that was a thing. (laughs) So that kind of curiosity of like, why do we do it that way? How how does this happen? How do we actually do that? I think is really vital um, to kind of the overall approach that a safety professional takes. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I really feel that that curiosity um, is one of those key elements. And whenever you're looking at someone that you're hiring for your organization or you're wanting to mentor or you're going into an organization to, to consult with, you know, these are all kind of all the discovery things that you're trying to find out of like the why. Why are you in this to, to begin with? And if they say, well, you know, I'm in here for the for the paycheck and that's that's really it. You're like, well, we uh, probably, I don't know how far we're going to be able to go down this path, but whenever you start to dive in and they're like, oh, you know what, I, I'm i here because I care a lot about people, 
right? Of like they have that care instinct inside of them. They have that hunger for discovery or curiosity. Um, those are some key elements. And then they have that ability to always want to continue to learn. Now, whether that's a, in school or whatever it may be, but they always want to continue to improve upon themselves. And like, I yeah. need to be ahead of this instead of behind from it and learning from a history book i really need to think forward and see how we can prevent these from happening so that we're not just always in a reactive state yeah i completely agree i think that's one thing that our profession has started to maybe embrace a little bit too you're talking about kind of this learning and kind of being ahead of stuff and to me i think something that our profession had avoided for at least the first half of kind of my career and exposure to it was this idea of doing things a little differently and innovation. We were like really afraid of innovation in the safety space. And some of that's probably maybe from some older practitioners. I don't, I don't know, or just different belief systems where it's like, yeah, if we change things, maybe I become obsolete. I don't, I don't know. You know, but maybe if we change things, I've been selling this this way for a really long time. And now I'm saying that we probably shouldn't. Are they going to look at me and be like, well, this guy's full of shit. This person's full of absolute shit, right? They told me that this stupid pyramid triangle thing worked for a long time. Now they're telling me it doesn't. What the hell? I just got used to that. You know, so there's there's kind of been this fear of innovation for a really long time. We we viewed innovation as risk and risky innovation, of course, right? It is a little risky anytime we do something a little differently. Um, but kind of that that idea that staying the same, especially when we know that we're not getting the operational results that we know we need to get, is probably way worse than yeah. going out on a limb a little bit and saying let's do things a little differently. Let's 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 try to let's try to invent things. So this idea of kind of curiosity. And this kind of risky innovator and this person that's, you know, um, one of my favorite kind of personal mottos is, is being well, that kind of willingness to take on like personal risk a little bit is like I never uh, every job I went to, it's always been the generic statement or anyone I've ever consulted for. It's like I've never minded getting fired for doing the right thing. So, <laughs> you know, that, yeah. those kind of general beliefs, those kind of general kind of ethical pieces around their profession, I think is absolutely, absolutely. Fine. Let me let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. When you first got into safety, uh, and then we can move on. I, I know we're kind of nerding out in the profession here, so any of our like ops folks out there that are listening, um, the only thing that they're thinking about from the last bit that we talked about when you're talking about safety people going in it for the money, they're thinking, yeah, dummies, they should have got into ops. That's where the money's at. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but, but when you first got into the profession, did you have like the savior complex? Did you have like the superhero complex like most folks do? Because I know I did. I'm like, these old idiots, how, you know, I'm going to come in here and change things. Did you, did you have to go through that learning uh, as well? <laughs> oh, yeah, man. Absolutely. I was like, I'm here to save you. I'm here to save you. Uh, yeah, that type of complex. Uh, but I think that that was really short-lived because I really got a dose of reality shortly thereafter of like having that crucial conversation with me of like, hey, we're not, we really don't need you here. Um, so that kind of like took me down to like, okay, now I need to focus on like, uh, the true sense of, of purpose of like why I'm here and building those relationships, that trust, having that, uh, that good, uh, esprit de corps inside of the organization. So yeah, that was, uh, that was short lived for me. Yeah, same. So I, I was like back to the mentoring piece. I was lucky enough. And not only I was kind of my first major, major project. I've done some stuff before for a few years and kind of a smaller project. So when you're new, that's probably the right place to start. I'm not saying that it's not, um, but you're on kind of a lower risk project, not as many folks, 
like one of those projects was like overstaffed with safety people, understaffed with everything else. You know, it's a great kind of learning environment. You don't really face you know, those kind of challenges. And so I would say probably my first real deal, big, like big, massive, massive project that I was involved with as a safety practitioner, um, I was still kind of holding on to some of those beliefs. Uh, and where I was going with this is not only did I have mentors in the safety space, but I had mentors in like the in the crew space and like the craft space that were very quick to be like, and I was I got started in this profession. I'm kind of doing this saying I was young. I wasn't this short. Uh, <laughs> still pretty short. Not that short. <laughs> But they would they would quickly be like, "You're full of shit. Get out of here." <laughs> you know, I'm like, "What?" But I'm, oh, uh, get out of here. You'll learn something. <laughs> well, I wish I could say that mine was uh, super low risk. Mine was uh, on a plane uh, and then caught another plane to a dirt runway in the middle of Alaska to be on an exploration project wow. where we were taking helicopters out in the middle of nowhere carrying guns you know uh, all of that type of stuff so yeah it was uh, it was trial by fire it was uh, in it to win it from uh, from day one but uh, but I get it man from the from the frying pan to the fire right yeah 100 <laughs> percent real quick so I was gonna ask you um, yeah. We were kind of chatting just a little bit, um, just kind of going back and forth in the DMs, kind of before we before we jumped on here. Um, West Virginia, right? Yeah. So is that is that the uh, is that the the the, the homestead, for West Virginia? Well, uh, since I, I live in Houston, Texas now, but uh, but all of my uh, my family is back in West Virginia. Just got back from there, a uh, little family reunion in the middle of nowhere. That was kind of like my little uh, piece of heaven. Uh, it, I mean, super in the in nowhere because there was there was no cell phone service. There was nothing, so it was like the family completely off the grid, just enjoying life and really disconnecting for a little while. So uh, so that was a great part and uh man i always have a, a huge warm spot for uh for west virginia so what what part i've got to ask what part yeah it's uh just south of buchanan in a little town called rock cave uh no stoplights um just <laughs> a yep, so. small like close-knit community yep yep so the uh uh I grew up in southwestern virginia and okay. spent a good chunk of my life there so down in a little town called richlands Okay, and so close to uh, not far from Bluefield, yeah, Bluefield, Virginia, West Virginia, kind of right sure. in there. I was probably about forty minutes from Bluefield, back up That's in the awesome. sticks. The uh, so we, we went, you went Bluefield the other direction, right? If you went over the mountain, you went down into McDowell County. Oh boy, and that's a wild time. <laughs> anybody, uh, don't get me wrong; I've got family in McDowell County, <laughs> but <laughs> if anybody ever wants to take the scenic, the scenic trip, McDowell County is uh, is a pretty interesting place. And I, I, when I say this, I'm not putting them down mm-hmm. to each their own, whatever they sure. want to do. But as soon as you come down the mountain from Virginia into McDowell County, you know there's there's a, a like a like a strip mall type thing that's like a gas station, post office, convenience store. Like it's everything right there, yeah. right? And then, kind of right up the road a little bit from it is the the snake handling church, right? Like the one that you see on the History Channel and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Like that's right there, you know. Mm-hmm. And they had went through some horrific flooding way, way back when too. So the, a lot of the place got washed like off the map, and it's just a wild place, man. It's a wild place. A lot of amazing people over there. Yeah, it is a wild place. <laughs> <laughs> it is some place that you definitely need to visit. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was, I was working uh, early on, man. Like right, right out of high school, kind of in the summer between high school and kind of going into uh, going into college. 
um, I was working for a, a natural gra- a gas drilling company there. Mm-hmm. Doing kind of roughneck and stuff, you know, sure. which made which made me realize a couple of things. Which the most important being that I'd never wanted to do that again. <laughs> a lot of respect for those folks. That is a job. That is that that is that is a that is a grown up job. Yes. <laughs> you know? So it, it it made me earn a lot of respect for those folks. Number one, and number two, made me realize that that's not something that I wanted to do. Um, but we're sitting there in the truck. We stopped at that little convenience store thing. You know, you're kind of stocking up on some of our addictions, such as energy drinks and mm-hmm. you know all the other kind of stuff. And uh, there's people just out there in the parking lot, and you know they, this guy's got like this pistol out, and that's for those out there that's like not from this neck of the woods, <clears throat> or maybe from areas where guns are viewed a little differently. I'm from I'm in Arizona, from Virginia. You're living in Texas, from West Virginia. We can have this conversation, <laughs> and it's not going to sound super weird to say they were in the parking lot, like showing off each other, like their pistols, right? And so apparently this guy was like trying to buy this pistol from this guy, and he's like, "Yeah, just give it a shot," and he's just sitting there like shooting it into the ground. So that's that's McDowell County. Like, like that's the kind of just a guy shooting a, a pistol between his feet into the pavement, trying it out to see if he wanted to spend a hundred bucks on it at a gas station that you can buy fake uh, Hollister t-shirts and mail a letter at the same time. That's, that's, <laughs> that's my type of place. That's my, I love it. I love it. Love it. Just don't, uh, this gets out too loud, man. It's going to turn into one of those little like hipster towns. There's going to be like food trucks selling, you Fish. know, like beef tongue tacos or something. It's going to be wild. <laughs> <laughs> so you hinted at trust and you talk about some of these kind of things around approach mm-hmm. and so maybe we can dive a little bit into approach man around um just general approaches to safety and let me let me kind of open it up i guess with this is things have been changing a lot really right in kind of this space of how we approach safety um as as uh, one of my favorites uh Dr. Dave Proven kind of has, has said in the past, um, and I take it kind of more in this direction of we spent a lot of years focusing on safety work and kind of now we're to the point of really focusing on the safety of work. Um, what do you think about kind of where we're at and kind of kind of where we're going? I, I know that there's for every organization that I find that's kind of going down this path of I'll just call it safety differently or, mm-hmm. you know, it, when I say safety differently, human organizational performance, safety better, safety too. I'm kind of, I know they're all, for all the people, I know, I know they're all a little differently. Uh, they're all a little different, but that's, uh, you know, kind of aside, beside the point. Um, what do you think about kind of where we're going with all that? Yeah, I really feel that we are kind of at that crossroads, um, that crossroads of change. And, and change is is difficult for, for people and for organizations. And, and kind of like you were talking about earlier is being vulnerable of, you know, embracing some of this innovation is, is difficult. And heck, embracing change is even difficult. And, and whenever I talk about leadership and mentorship, uh, one of the things for me is I always go in with the philosophy of I want to train you to take my job without fear of you taking my job because I want you to have that type of skill set. I want to mentor you that way. And the same thing goes with with innovation and the, and the way that we're going about change inside of our profession of going from that compliance model to the truly like the care aspect of things of like, how should we be doing this moving forward? Are we like 
building the right relationships? Are we giving people the right skills whenever it comes to leadership inside of an organization? Are we leading the right way that fits the aspects of our organization uh, and where we want to go? Are we here for the now or are we here for the next 60 years inside of this industry? And I think all of those different things really play a, a huge part in, in the safety profession. And looking at it from embracing innovation, embracing technology, embracing a different way of thinking of things of like if i ever hear that of this is the way that we've always done things i'm probably just going to go crazy um (laughs) i i feel like we are at that crossroads where now is the time to empower our frontline workforce coming out of a pandemic of like we have to do things differently they're there for a different reason they're not there for just a paycheck they want to be there for a sense of purpose they want to work for an organization that actually has a higher calling of like why they're there not just to make this widgets but how are they actually making a difference in the world today and tomorrow yeah, that's huge. And so there's there's so much there to unpack. You know, when I when I start thinking about kind of where we're at and kind of where we've been, and um, we we've, we've been doing this. You've been doing this for a few minutes longer than me, but we're kind of like I said, kind of right there. I'm catching up yeah. to you, right right there with you. And so we've kind of seen the good and the bad and the ugly. It's kind of it relates to our approaches to safety. Um, even with me, like I was I was indoctrinated into kind of more traditional safety, and then when you're when you're kind of green and new to that you kind of start with this idea of like, I'm new, like this has to be the right way. Like these people are, are like, they've been doing this like a hundred years, like a hundred year old crusty safety dude. You know, like he's got to know what he's telling me. She's, she's got to know what she's telling me. Like this is, this has got to be the right way. Who am I to question? Uh, which is natural. That's natural. That's normal, especially when you're new to this profession. So for all my kind of new folks out there that are listening in, um, don't beat yourself up too bad. That's, that's a natural thing, right? We kind of, we kind of lean into lean into those folks that have been doing this longer than we have to try to learn something from, and they're not saying there's nothing to learn there. There's still a lot to learn from traditional approaches to safety. Um, we're not talking about throwing the, the baby out with the bathwater type of thing. There's still a lot of good little bits there. But for me, it's this really powerful thing around how we view people, right? We, we've really changed or we've really started to shift our assumptions around how we view the worker, and it's the way Decker so famously puts it, you know, with safety differently. That's that's really how I kind of sum up really where we're at is if we wanted to pin that on one thing, it's it's that shift, right? We no longer view people as a problem to manage, right? We, we view them as a solution to our problems and listening to them and trying seeking to understand, right? And kind of all those things that maybe we didn't do in the past with just our normal kind of management tactics, which is all Taylorism, right? It's, it's all it's all old school Taylorism. And I just where we're at, many organizations, fortunately, we're in the process of like just assassinating Frederick Taylor from our organizations. Finally, <laughs> right? And just being like, no, 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 like we, we we've, we've got to move in a better direction, and it's this direction of trusting the people that we employ. That's a huge piece mm-hmm. of it, right? Because we you kind of hinted at trust a little bit before too. It's this this trusting the people that we employ, listening to them, asking them what they need. All of those things, right, and this kind of mixture and based on the industry that you're in, like I'm in the utility space a bunch, and so so much of that is we're we're, we're taking this and we're taking stuff from HRO and kind of those traits, and you're kind of pulling all this stuff together to make something more bespoke, right, for for what for the place that you're working, the industry that you're working in. Um, But that trust piece is kind of universal. There's a couple things for me that I've always found to be pretty universal across industries. And that that, that view around people is probably probably the biggest. 
The other one is uh, starting from a place of trust rather than from an organizational neutral distrust. And then the other one is kind of doing stuff with people rather than to people. And we were kind of in the opposite of that for many, many years. So it really is a, a really big kind of full shift um, because all of that that I just said, if you wind back in many organizations' lives, and many to this day that haven't been exposed to these kind of concepts yet, um, which is surprising. There's a lot of them out there. You know, in our kind of world where we're interacting with safety folks all the time and we're interacting with organizations, we've got, I think we developed a bit of an echo chamber because when I start talking to people, I'm like, everyone's doing this. And then when I start getting phone calls and emails, you quickly realize like many people are not doing, or still don't believe this way, right? <laughs> but those things, um, we were kind of practicing the exact opposite of that. Right. We viewed people as a problem to manage, as a problem to fix, and organizations fix problems. That's what we do. So we were fixing people, right? Fix, fixing air quotes for anybody that's just listening, fixing people. Um, we never viewed people as, uh, as something we should trust. We always started from distrust. We built all of our systems built upon distrust. We built all of our rules based upon distrust of people, right? It's the reason why, um, why you end up having to upload a receipt for $2.99 for a cup of coffee you bought in the airport. It's because we don't trust you to do that. We trust you with multi-million dollar budgets, but we don't trust you to, to not screw us over in the cup of coffee. We trust you with multi-million dollar pieces of equipment, but we don't trust you to carry a pocket knife, <laughs> right, kind of stuff. We started from this, this position of distrust, and then we did all that stuff to people. Mm-hmm. And, of course, it resulted in kind of where we were at, where we found ourselves the breaking point, right? It took us so far, and uh, we still continued to kill the main people, which was at a pretty consistent rate in industry, right, which – that turned us towards this idea of like, maybe we need to learn more. And that's really where I'm going with this is this idea that this, this leaning into the folks that actually get stuff done and seeking to understand and setting up environments in which honesty is at least possible, right? I won't even say trust, just at least environments in which they can be honest with you, brutally honest, and you can tap into that raw and real information. Man, there's nothing more powerful out there as a leader. There's nothing more powerful out there uh, as a safety pro. There's just nothing more powerful than raw real deal information because with that you can actually make better decisions yeah i agree with you and uh and that's where the magic really happens of whenever you empower that that front line the people that are actually doing the work you hire people with the premise of like i hired you to do this job and i'm going to empower you to do this job and i'm going to trust you to do this job that's where that's where you see greatness achieved and whenever mm-hmm. you have it the opposite way just like you ex- you talked about of like well i hire you to you know manage this multi-million dollar budget but you've got to expense like this $2 cup of coffee that there's there's something broken there and that's where we need to fix and uh, I read the book uh, on Netflix the no rules rules and mm-hmm. <clears throat> for me that that really showed me of like how you have the authority and the authenticity to to really have the best interest of mind of the organization go out and like empower those subject matter experts that are actually doing the job to give that open and honest feedback man that's that's really the the biggest thing for me and i think that that's kind of like where our profession is going we talked about this a little bit earlier but I feel that we are becoming that improvement specialist. Um, we are improving communications. We are com- uh, improving systems. We are improving just the overall organization. And I believe that the next level of safety professionals, you know, will be that improvement specialist. So I could take, you know, Jane, that is a 
you know, this safety specialist for this uh, oil and gas organization, and I could take her and her skill set, and with a little bit of upskilling, drop her into food and bev, and she could start improving those processes as well. And I, I believe that that is a skill set that we are always going to have because there's something inside of us that is fundamental that allows us to improve those processes no matter what the organization is yeah oh, I, I completely agree with that there's so much of that where um in the past we if you were in an industry it was like a you'd have to scratch and claw to try to go into any other industry you know and so it, it was it's tough right it's tough but i I completely agree with you because those skill sets are not pigeonholed, right? For sure. Like if you're looking for someone that is a technical expert in X, Y, Z, and they've only worked in ABC, then probably looking in the wrong spot. But if you are looking for someone that is curious about work, seeking to understand, wanting to make things suck less, right? Like how do we make just work generally suck less? And safety is part of that, right? How do we make how do we make not getting killed and maimed at work definitely sucks a whole lot less, right? That's that's good. That's that's like the that's like the base level of this sucking less thing, right? Um, but just just enriching lives, right? Uh, those kind of bits and pieces of where our profession is kind of gone, um, you can carry those across the spectrum. Um, and a lot of times, I know personally for me, and I don't know if you, you probably I'd be interested to hear how you feel about this, but I spend a lot of time with varying industries. And the thing that I've found is that a lot of times um, the industries that I'm most familiar with, I have to I have to really watch myself because I find myself becoming less curious with it. Mm-hmm. And I have to kind of pep talk myself a little bit. Um, if you can't tell, I'm, I'm wild, man, so it, it, it doesn't take much, you know, but I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. Sometimes I've got to stop and be like, okay, listen, I've spent 20 years in power generation I don't know everything about power generation <laughs> and I definitely don't know about how this organization does this. So be curious. So yeah. I, I guess that's the cautionary tale in the opposite direction, I guess, or in a similar vein of, I think it's better, right? I think it's better for us as safety professionals to get out there. And it, that even goes into how we kind of learn in general is that many organizations are huge on benchmarking, right? And kind of learning from other organizations that do same similar work. But we're horrible at reaching out and learning from organizations that do things that are vastly different than us that still have a ton, a ton of great information and learning that we can pull from them. Um, the utility space is a great example. I'll just I'll, I'll pick kind of on my, on my home turf here a little bit, is that we're really good at getting a lot of utilities together and learning from each other. We're great at that. The downside of that is we're not really good at looking anywhere other than utilities. And the downside of that is that we're really, really good at just kind of like a line of ducks. Wherever the mama duck goes, everybody else kind of follows. Nobody wants to get out there and innovate. Nobody wants to break from the pack, right? There's danger. There's danger away from the line of ducks. (laughs) So those are great opportunities for safety pros that um, I encourage folks all the time. Like if you're working in utilities, as an example, go hang out with Tesla. (laughs) Go hang out with Amazon. Go hang out with folks that have high-risk stuff just like you do, maybe a little differently uh, or a little different, but they're, they're living in that high-risk VUCA world too just like you are, right? They're living in that HRO world a lot of times too just like you are, and there's a lot to learn there. 
And so that was my kind of, I got kind of sidetracked there in this rant about not getting too pigeonholed, you know, by industry, but you started it. So what about, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that one thing for, for me is exactly what you said, because whenever we as safety professionals get pigeonholed and we start getting complacent, we start getting jaded, we start getting, you know, becoming desk mammals instead mm-hmm. of actually getting out and going to where the work is actually happening, this allows us to break that monotony and like okay I don't know everything and I, and if I yeah. ever say that I know everything then that's the day that I need to retire and go be a greeter at Walmart <laughs> now I need to like focus on like how do I have that fresh eyes and just like you said from the very beginning it's that curiosity of like what's next what else is behind the wall what else could happen and how can I partner with these frontline individuals to actually do something about it because they're the ones that might be able to segregate some of the the signals from the noise and really say whoa 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 Hey, I see this before it happens, and I know that that's something that that you and Todd are very passionate about, also. Yeah, and so I, I, I want to go back just a second though, because you were talking about like this this new role that's emerging for the safety professional, mm-hmm. and I think. Uh, not to keep fanboying a little bit on Dr. Dave, on Dave Proven there a little bit, but he just put out an excellent book, um, and he's done a lot of work around this kind of thing too, around this 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 new view safety practitioner kind of stuff. Um, and what I've kind of found out, we touched on it a little bit, me and my me and my real good friend Ian Allison in Safety Sucks the Manifesto that we put out a year or so ago, um, kind of this redefinition of a safety practitioner. And this is where organizations can help a ton, right, to to make the role of your safety practitioners. Uh, more valuable because that's what really what we're talking about, right? It's a matter of impact, right? Like setting setting up your safety professional in a position in which they can have the most impactful, positive role that they can. And so for so long, we viewed them in this sense of like compliance enforcers, kind of compliance cops, um, kind of Paul Blart Mall cop, observe and report kind of stuff. You know, get you on your little uh, your little segue thing out there and cruising around taking observations and just do like a hundred of those and we're good, you know, kind of thing. Um, we viewed them as kind of this. I, 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 I struggle to quote the stuff that I've even written because I've slept since I re- since I wrote it, you know. But uh, so if I butcher my own my own uh, book here, I'm sorry. <laughs> but we really started from this position of viewing safety practitioners kind of safety gurus, gods, experts, like the sole source of safety information for your world. Um, this kind of fortune teller kind of thing, like with enough information, they should turn that into a safety crystal ball and they'll be able to predict where bad things are going to happen next and kind of all this different stuff. And then like an easy button, kind of a blame point for the organization when all that kind of garbage (laughs) fails, you know, the punching bag for, for leadership when your crystal ball lets you down, we're going to tar and feather you now publicly um, kind of stuff, but we're taking all that and we're starting to throw it out. And this is where organizations can really help us to sit down and have that conversation with their safety practitioners and craft a role that works best for their organization, but built around the ideas that you were just talking about, built around the ideas of being a curious learner and innovator, um, someone that has this obsession with making things just better, just better in general, not just safety stuff, just making things a little bit better. Um, a team member, right? Just someone that's truly integrated into that team rather than viewed as like this kind of outside kind of guru god that you have to go to the up on high safety office to get an answer about a confined space. Like we have to we have to bring them into kind of this team mentality. And that takes us in a much better direction as you, as you were just kind of talking about before is that you find yourself with a practitioner that's not out there that's 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 out there not obsessed with like 
the little tiny compliance bits. You know, they're not obsessed with, you know, the kind of little tiny things where it's like that, that change you to the desk, right? Where it's like, I've got to prop up this system. I'm the manager of the system. I'm the gatekeeper of this, this big administrative system that we have to have. And those systems kind of drive back to, you know, context driving behavior, right? That's what drives kind of those behaviors that you see in the profession is because it's built upon what the organization values from safety practitioners. So, of course, as someone that's employed by an organization, if they believe that my primary role, my most beneficial role, is to go out and beat people into submission, then you ultimately work in support of the values of that organization. Your behaviors, the actions that you take, are built upon what they believe to be valuable for your, your, your use of your time, right? So where I was going with that is this idea of like the redefinition of a safety practitioner at that kind of point of the organization and the practitioner themselves really thinking about the role, really thinking about how can we get the most impact out of what you do for a living, right? And a lot of times it's exactly where you were just going. It's getting them out there learning, getting them out there as a facilitator of learning, as a conduit for learning. If you just task them with like, I want you to go out and the only thing I care that you do is go out and learn as much about normal work as we possibly can. I want you to be that person that's like the driving force for learning. That's way better than where we've ever been. (laughs) That's way better. Yeah, man, I agree with that. And, uh, Anything that we can do to to really invest in that that next generation of safety professional, that's what we want to do, and and that's why I believe so adamantly about that improvement specialist is that's what we want them to do. And if we're really investing in that practical work knowledge or that business acumen, then man, the world is their oyster, and they can just take it and run with it. And I think that. Going back to the change aspect of like once they built those relationships and that trust and they have that that firsthand knowledge, then change becomes a little bit easier and you have those organizations that want to make that transformation. They want to go away from PowerPoint training to, you know, something that's maybe mobile first and digital training. They want to go from like a paper checklist or nothing at all to something that's digitized. And I think that that's where we see the being more receptive to change uh, once we have those relationships built. Yeah, and I think those are those are really really good points, you know. And we're talking about kind of embracing technology there, and it's it's really important, especially with kind of this new generation of the workforce. And I say new; they've been in it for a second, but they're just now getting to where maybe maybe they're the mass, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in the past, I, I don't know uh, what you've kind of seen with this, but I know in organizations I've been with and around and helped out and all that kind of stuff. There's this big shift towards, especially like mobile workforce kind of stuff, right? Of devices and kind of pulling everything into devices and making that super easy because that's that's how we live right i mean that's mm-hmm. that's how we live i've got two or three of these stupid things laying here right now um you know that's 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 how most of us live our lives i mean i do most of my work from a phone right mm-hmm. and that's no different than what you're kind of seeing happening kind of at the sharper end um i think those things are can be very very valuable to making work suck less because you can get away from the sitting there scribbling all this crap into a form, mm-hmm. especially in those areas where we just have to have documentation. Like those things are always going to exist. And I think most people on the sharp end realize that there are certain areas where just documentation exists. That's just part of it. Mm-hmm. But then listening to them, right, when we're doing that kind of app-driven stuff, when we're doing that kind of thing, those kind of things, I've seen a lot kind of happening around this kind of pre-job brief world, and especially with the research that came out around Take Fives and kind of the effectiveness mm-hmm. of pre-job briefs and how they kind of don't do what we always thought that they did, mm-hmm. <laughs> right, or at least kind of the key points that we assume that they did. 
um, there's still in many worlds, there's still a requirement, like a regulatory requirement to do those things. And so what I've seen is kind of this experimentation happening where it's like, okay, we got to do it. And there's like this, like this, this small handful of like key elements that have to be there. But you guys tell me what it should look like. Like design the form you want to use because we got, we kind of got to do it, which sucks. I always hate like that. We have to do it answer, right? <laughs> that always kind of stinks. Um, but at least if we have to do it, you're the one that has to use it, not me. And I think that I, I think I know what would work, but I'm full of shit a lot of times. <laughs> so you tell me what would work best for you. Let's try that out a few times, you know, build something, try it, build something, try it, build something, try it, do all this kind of tri storm and micro experimentation. And then what I've seen with a lot of folks in this kind of world trying to take that more mobile is then we pull it into some mobile form, right? We, then we pull it into some easier to use form, but it's built upon what they want to see, which I think is powerful because if I build something for me, I'm way more likely to use it because it's mine. Right? It's not you telling me this is what you do. And I'm like, 47 questions. What do you think I do for a living, right? <laughs> that kind of stuff. So I guess I guess where I'm really trying to take that is like, I really think that there's a, like that's the move, right? Like we're moving in that direction whether we like it or not. And uh, I kind of tend to like it because I think it makes life a whole lot easier for us while we're trying to manage through those things. But I think the crucial piece is that we don't forget the listening piece while we're while we're building those things and and giving folks the uh, ability for those things to be really bespoke to those groups or to those organizations uh, built upon the know how and knowledge of the folks that actually have to use them. Yeah, that's a hundred percent correct. And and if if you're not going that way, I mean it's it's kind of failure from the very beginning. Because that's what we want to do is we want to have that collaboration from the very beginning because those frontline users are gonna be the ones that utilize this on a daily basis. So why not collaborate with them, get their input, allow them to build it, have something that's so user friendly that they could even build it themselves. Because yeah. one thing that we've missed from the past is the the voiceless frontline worker of like them saying, Hey, I need, you know, we, we should do things this way. And where does that go? It just goes into a black hole or, Hey, I, I'm just going to use this. I, I need a new pair of safety gloves. I need some impact gloves because of this. And it's like, well, it was three weeks before they got it or they never got it. And they felt yeah. voiceless because they're like, why would I give my input back? Because nothing's ever going to be done anything about it. So whenever you enable them, you actually put that conduit of technology right into their hand so that they can say, Hey, I need this to be successful at my job. Wow. We have that transparency. We have that accountability. Yeah. And man, once they see that, that, uh, continuous improvement loop really closed down, then that's when they're like, okay, maybe things are changing and now I can be more open and honest so that we can actually move the needle forward. But I, I really feel that that is the wave of the future. Um, as we really go into the digital world. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I just don't see how you, I don't see why you'd want to avoid it. Now the, the problem with technology is of course, and you know, it's, it's like a vacuum for risk then, right? We're, we're, we're changing out kind of practices a little bit and we're dealing with new stuff and that's kind of the thing, but it, that's just a general acceptance that we kind of have to take because it's changing. The world's changing whether we like it or not. Mm -hmm. Right. Kind of back to that key point that, um, our world, it's getting worse, I guess is where I'm going. And it's never going to stop getting worse. We're constantly kind of, pushed in this direction of, of greater and greater complexity, 
right, within our work worlds. So I think that's just a general acknowledgement that we have to make. For a long time, we operated under this notion that simplify, simplify, simplify. Mm -hmm. And if we finally simplify this complex and complicated things enough, then uh, things will finally be okay. But attempting to simplify complexity only leaves really horrific outcomes usually, right? That, that math just doesn't work out right? when, we, when we start trying to simplify the complex things that we do. But in those areas like what we're talking about, um, I, with technology in general, with, that's where we're going, right? And as long as we're listening, as long as we're learning, as long as we're putting in a lot of, of kind of thought there, um, and understanding, understanding that you know you're inserting stuff into complex socio-technical systems is never as easy as it seems. Right back to some of the stuff we were talking about early safety pro days, you come up with some really great stuff, really great things, air quotes that you think is going to be awesome, right? And it's so simple and so easy and so doable, and it's going to change the world. And then you put it out there, and then you realize like people hate it, <laughs> <laughs> and it sucks, and it doesn't work right. And it takes forever. And so you learn those lessons early on, you know, especially in our world. That's like, okay, if I'm going to be successful, I've got to listen to the folks that use this stuff. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's really why I made the, uh, the, the, you know, the shift in my career to, to go to work for safety culture, because I had been a customer of theirs for the past eight years, implemented it in my organizations and mm -hmm. saw amazing like return on investment and just amazing cultural change. And I was like, I don't want to do this just for one organization. I want to do this for many organizations. I want to help other safety professionals, quality professionals, that are business leaders that are out there, you know, realize some of that it sucks less, you know, inside of their organization. And, man, I, I just couldn't be happier to, uh, to help be that, uh, that partner. Yeah, so, so since we're since we're kind of on that, why don't you share with folks out there kind of what safety culture does, and maybe how how you guys can help them out a little bit if they're kind of looking for something like that. Yeah, so uh, so safety culture is. Uh a tech organization um, in the in the states. We're based out of Kansas City. That's where our big office is in Kansas City, but corporate offices in Sydney, Australia. Um, the cool story of like really how it started is you know this videographer, our uh, founder and CEO. You know he was uh, a videographer for a workers' comp company, and really just focusing on like catching folks. You know maybe trying to skirt the system. And one day he said, I want to be a part of the solution to this, not continuing to be a part of the problem. So he went and uh, they created the iAuditor app in uh, a garage in Townsville, Australia. And now it's in 85 different countries, you know, 28,000, you know, customers and uh, 1.5 million users. So it's, it's amazing, you know, what we do to help organizations uh, through our operations platform do their best work every day. And, uh, and that's, you know, focusing on their quality, safety, and their communication. And uh, the best part of it for me is there's a lot of technology out there, but one thing that sets safety culture aside from every other organization that I've dealt with is, you know, their people of like, they truly believe their values. And I mean, whenever they say customer first, man, they are truly like a customer driven organization and they're open, honest, always, and, uh, always better as a team. So I'm very thankful for, uh, for doing that. And, uh, man there, I know that anybody and everybody's here to, uh, to help if anyone needs any help in digitizing their processes. 
Well, that's got to be that's got to be really interesting, you know. To mm-hmm. like you said, kind of you're hinting at it before of this idea of getting to do this for a bunch of different places. A bunch. Of- Hello, is it is it me you're looking for? Hold on, wait a second. Hello. So we had a technical glitch right there, which I totally used to uh, do like an entire Lionel Richie kind of segue, but it was a quick technical glitch. So there's more. Let me just pause and say that there's more. So uh, something messed up on my end. I'm getting really good at these technical things. We moved the studio and kind of all that stuff. You can kind of tell the sounds kind of here and there, and I don't have it completely dialed in yet. I'm I'm figuring it out. Thank you for bearing with me. Let me use this as an opportunity to say thank you. Um, But let's jump right back in, and then I'll I'll, I'll be right back. That was wild, man. That was fun. So we're back. We had like a quick technical glitch there. Uh, definitely on my end, trying to figure out some new uh, new software stuff and all that kind of things. We're just talking about technology, the wonders of technology here. <laughs> you got to love technology. It works mostly, right? That's kind of yeah. <laughs> it's still the the fact of the matter is that we're still doing every day. It's just that we live in just a much more amazing world with the with the way that technology advances. It makes things like this so much easier to be able to connect and just have conversations where this would never happen in the past, right? We'd have been walking around with like a, like a cassette tape recorder and some crappy microphones from Radio Shack, right? <laughs> <laughs> On both ends. Mm-hmm. Well, cool, man. I've got to tell you, um, before we go, we are just talking West Virginia and we are just talking kind of our neck of the woods and you're, you're in Texas, right? Yep. So it just kind of hit me while we're sitting here talking. I'm sitting here with my all right, all right, all right, Austin mug. <laughs> Drinking, drinking my coffee from the time that I got something about Texas airports. I don't know what you guys got going on there, but every time I go through Texas, I'm stranded. So I don't know if it's like a sign that I'm supposed to not leave or if you guys just have something out against me. I don't know what happens. The last time I went through Dallas, I was stranded there for like 30 hours. It was insane. Well, the next time <laughs> that I'll you're go- stranded in Houston, you have a place to stay. Call me up. I'll come pick you I'll up. Call you, you up, got, man. You got I'm a place. Like, I'm gonna be like, I'm stuck, man. I'm stuck. And then back, back to kind of that that Appalachian kind of. Buchanan seam mm-hmm. kind of cold country man. There's a mining helmet right there. That was my dad's oh, that's sitting awesome. back there too. So you got I got I got two things that are tying you in here, man. This is like the the Texas West Virginian <laughs> podcast experience. So before we finish things up, after our technical glitch, um, I've got this one question that I always ask people, and it's put you on the spot a little bit. But and it's kind of weird. But we started asking this thing: of, Do you have any final words? Like it's really like you know. Um, Sounds really like bad, but do you have any final words? Do you have any kind of um, go do's or pro tips that you would give to safety pros or leaders or folks out there? Any kind of like words of wisdom that you would want to leave them with uh, or to really take away from this conversation? Yeah, the biggest thing for me is don't be upset with the results that you didn't get from the work that you didn't do. Um, Everything that we have in our profession really comes from the blood, sweat, and tears that we put into every single day. And that's what we've got to do. We've got to do that with our relationships. We've got to do that with our systems and processes. We've got to do that with our technology. We've got to actually go out there and do the work if we want to actually see the results that we want to see at the end of the day. I love that. Yeah, I, I really love that. That ties right into so much kind of where we were going and even especially especially talking about learning, right, and seeking to understand is don't be surprised when you kind of find yourself um, without the information you need if you didn't go out and try to learn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? that's, that's such a huge part of it. Well, thank you so much for coming on, my friend. We're going to, have to do this again really, really soon, and I, I promise you 
Um, you're going to regret that because I have uh, I, I'm the I'm like a bad luck charm for flights. So when I'm stuck in Texas and your phone starts ringing, man, it's going to I'm stuck in another hellstorm. You guys in these freaking hellstorms in Texas, dude? What the heck? Jeez, so you guys get hellstorms, we get haboobs in Arizona. I don't know what the why the hell do we ever leave the mountains? Anytime, brother. <laughs> Anytime that you're here, uh, you always have a place to stay. And, uh, man, it was an awesome time spending uh, the past hour with you, and I look forward to the next time as well. Yeah, we're going to make it happen, man. Thanks again. All right, Sam, thanks. Well, what did you think about that? Man, I, I've got to tell you, hanging out with Gary was just a blast. If you can't tell, we just had like a ton of fun just catching up as people, just as people, as safety practitioners, as folks focused on trying to do this whole safety thing just a little bit better. I would love to hear your thoughts on that conversation. It is thehopnerd at gmail.com. And as I mentioned, head over to the website, www.thehopnerd.com for all things human and organizational performance, learning team, safety, culture, all that kind of sort of stuff. Get into contact. Let me know how I can help you out on your H-O-P hop journey. And make sure you head over and check out Safety Culture and go follow along with Gary and kind of all the cool stuff that they have going on over there. I'll link all their stuff down below in the show notes, and I'm sure that I'll link it on all of the uh, posts on social media that I, uh, I post about this episode because I'm going to put this one on blast because it was it was just fun. If you can't tell, I'm, <laughs> I'm excited. I just recorded this, sitting down recording this kind of intro, outro. That's how we do it. You know, I'm going to record the intro, record the outro after the conversation, and uh, I'm still just, I'm still floating. It was, it was just a lot of fun. It was just a lot of fun. I look forward to catching up with Gary again. Until next time, that's all I've got, everybody. Sam Goodman, the Hop Nerd, signing off. <gasps> Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.